Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Welcome to Upfront with Mark Hughes and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine as we find out what it takes to be a top-flight striker. On this episode, we'll discuss his style of play, the difficulties of going and playing abroad at such a young age, and what it feels like to score for some of the world's biggest and most supported clubs. It's in towards Hughes! Oh yes, a Hughes special! Within two minutes, United are back in front. And it's a Mark Hughes special. How many times have we seen him do that? You're listening to Upfront with Mark Hughes and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. Well, my guest today is an instantly recognisable name. For the last 16 years, he's been a manager in the Premier League. But that's a whole other show, I think. Um, because before he was a smartly dressed touchline prowler, he was scoring goals of a spectacular nature for some of the biggest clubs in the world. With 72 caps for Wales, a double winner, a four-time FA Cup winner, double player of the year, twice Cup Winners Cup winner, three-time League Cup winner. Wow. Let's talk to former Chelsea, Southampton, Bayern, Barcelona and Manchester United hero Mark Hughes OBE. How are you? I'm fine, Sam. How are you? I'm good. Did I miss anything out or did I miscalculate no, it at all? No, that's that's okay. You pretty much touched every base there. Huh? <laughs> I've got the roster all right. Uh, I'm going in early here. Um, I was watching the Premier League years uh, the other day and it was the 92-93 season. And it, it struck me that you scored so many great goals. You obviously had your trademark signature volley. You did obviously get tap-ins, etc., etc. But why were there so many beautiful goals spectacular ones headline grabbers well I think you touched on it there I didn't get too many uh, tap-ins if I'm honest and uh, I think somebody once said of me that I was a scorer of great goals but not a great goal scorer so uh, that was pretty pretty accurate description of me really I actually really liked in, to be involved in the in the builder play as well so I wasn't predominantly a poacher as like a Gary Lineker or Ian Rush who was always looking to get on the end of things flashing across the, the six-yard box and, and just getting touches to divert things into goals, which isn't what I, or wasn't what I was always about. It was always about being part of the link-up play, getting involved in, in build-up, spreading the ball out wide and at some point trying to get it back in the box. But more often than not, I didn't quite make it. So I usually found myself a little bit further out than possibly I should have been as a, a mainline striker. But as a consequence of that, things used to drop to me on the edge of the box. So... Or things would be bouncing in around the edges of the 18-yard box. And on occasion, I just 
just something uh, that popped into my mind, something athletic, something acrobatic. And I used to say about the volleys that the reason I scored so many volleys was that I wasn't particularly good at heading. So it was easier for me to, to volley it from a height than it was to, to throw my napper on it. So uh, that was probably a few of the reasons why uh, the goals were the type of goals they were. What did being a centre-forward mean to you? What was the role in your mind when you first started? I always played it as myself being the focal point for the attack, meaning I had to be a target, I had to be available, I had to retain possession. In the good old days, my days, the, it was very, very aggressive. The, the best word for it was intimidation, where opposition teams, given that you were going up against Manchester United, one of the, the tools they had in their box was... Can we intimidate them? Can we physically knock them out of their strike? Can we affect their mentality and whether or not they fancy it or not? Well, first 20 minutes of most games that I was involved in involved just setting the tone and showing people that you were there and you were going to be intimidated. So you had to resist challenges, you had to take knocks, but you had to be that focal point for, for the team. And was that something that somebody whispered in your ear once? Is it something that you learnt growing up? Is it something that was coached into you or was it just instinct? I think predominantly it was how the game was. To get into the first team, you had to show qualities of physicality. You had to be able to look after yourself is, is the phrase that was always popping up. You, you couldn't be intimidated. You had to show that you were strong-minded and strong-willed and a I think that's when I certainly initially when I first went to, to Man United, I was a midfield player. And if I'm honest, I wasn't really progressing to any great uh, extent. So um, as a last resort, my uh, my youth team coach was Sid Owen at the time. I think he, he felt, well, there's no way this, this kid's going to make a midfield player. So uh, let's try him in a different position. So I, I remember the game vividly. We were playing a Norwegian youth team at the cliff. Uh, uh, in Manchester in Salford and um, just before the game Sid Owen came to me he says oh by the way you're playing up front today and I'd never played up front didn't really know what was expected so I give it a go I actually scored three in the game and um, I thought well that was that was okay and uh, from that point onwards certainly during youth team or whatever till at the back end of my career I ended up going backwards and ended up back in midfield but uh I think they saw something in me that they felt would enable me to progress in, in my career, possibly. So uh, that game was quite uh, quite a significant moment in my career, I would su suggest. Um, you, you were highly thought of by your peers, weren't you? I mean, you were PFA Young Player of the Year, twice PFA Players Player of the Year. What did those honours mean to you? Did they have greater significance than some of the trophies that you won? Yeah, I think so, because obviously you, your peers are... I put you on, on the pedestal above them. So I was very proud. The, the, the Young Player of the Year was a surprise because everything around that time was around 84, 85. Um, everything was happening very, very quickly. I was getting awards for Player of the Month, uh, Robinson Barleywatt. I don't know if anybody remembers that award, but I won that one as well. So the Young Player of the Year, to a certain extent, I expected because there wasn't anybody really that was uh, on the the line of progression that I was showing at that yeah. time. So that one was that one was uh, one I expected during that year. I think uh, my first senior PFA award, the Player of the Year one, that came after I just got back from playing abroad. And I was pleased with that one because I think that when I went out, I was just a young player. I'd only had 18 months or so uh, playing at top level. 
And when I came back, I'd been away for two years. And myself, in terms of how I felt I was as a person and as a player, I felt I'd improved right across the board. So when I came back, I would say I wanted to show that I was a better player, could cope technically and, and physically with the game, which maybe technically I, I wasn't as good as I felt I was when I came back. So when I came back, it was it was validation to a certain extent that what I felt myself was being seen by other people as well. So um, that was a really proud moment. Uh, the, the one I had later was just on the back of a very, very good season, 91. And, and obviously we had uh, a great season that year. So uh, I was able to pick it up again. But uh, the first player of the year one was the one that I really cherished. Let's warm you up with a couple of quick fire questions. Get a sense of who Mark Hughes really is. What's your favourite goal? Well, I've always said that my favourite goals usually are the, the ones that are remembered by most people. So, so the ones that always get mentioned invariably are uh, my goal for Wales against Spain, uh, which, if I'm honest, probably got me a transfer to Barcelona. Uh, <laughs> so I always remember that one. Uh, a goal against Oldham. It's only a minute to go. It's come to Lee Sharp. Milligan has to get the head on this. Beckford is needed. He wasn't there. It's hooked back in for Hughes. It's there! Extraordinary stuff. It wasn't cleared properly. And look at Mark Hughes, the volleying specialist. But he's never left it as late as that. And he rescues Manchester United with a brilliant strike round Fleming. Last gasp and just got us a draw and we were able to obviously keep uh, the opportunity here to win the double at Wembley. So that one always gets a mention. And... Uh, Third one is, is probably the goal I scored, not the the one I pinched off of Brucey on the line in, in the European Cup Winners' <laughs> Cup final, but uh, the other one that was definitely mine. So uh, those are the three that most people remember. These are the goals that weren't of games of significance, so to speak. So maybe the the, the strength of a goal and the quality of the goal, uh, you have to mix in how important that goal was at that time. So that's why those three are probably three of my favourites. Has Brucey ever forgiven you for nicking that off the line? Probably not. Well, everybody went to him and congratulated him, <laughs> yeah, but did get that. I, ran, I ran to the halfway line and looked at the, at the scoreboard. There was a big scoreboard at the, the opposite end and said my name. So I thought, OK, you can have, you can have the hugs and kisses. I'll, I'll have the goal. Um, I was just doing my job, obviously. Who was your favourite strike partner? Oh, that's a difficult one. Really difficult. I was very fortunate um, throughout my career to, to play with top class partners um, in the Welsh squad. I played with Ian Rush, United, Frank Stapleton, Eric obviously is high on that list, uh, Chelsea, Gianfranco Zola, uh, Luca Viali, lots and lots of top, top class players, which thankfully made my job easier because those players, because of the level they were at, they, they understood uh, what I was doing in, in relation to them and they, they could react off that. So, um, Difficult to pick one out. Obviously, the ones that you have success with uh, figure prominently. Uh, Eric obviously was different, I'd have to say, to, to most of the others I've mentioned, just because he was a bit of a maverick and uh, and he was just a one-off. And Cantona makes another run. Benali is shadowing him. Cantona inside. Hughes! An invitation for Hughes to shoot, but how many players are as deadly as Hughes from that range? Eric was probably one of the first players that I played with that would use space and, and stand still mm. to, to gain space, whereas 
prior to, to playing with Eddie, it was all about running the channels, constantly being on the move and trying to make space by making runs. Whereas Eric would just drift off to the left wing and now and again, and I'd be looking around thinking, where the hell's he gone now? And and he'd just stand there. And, but all the time, he was just waiting for the opportunity to, to reintroduce himself into the play. And that's why he was, he was devastating because he had great time and he knew when to do it, knew when to break the lines. And, and he was a big guy as well, um, would travel with the ball. Um, and technically, first class. So, so Eric was different to the others, but uh, I had great pleasure playing with them all. Who was your childhood hero? Who did you look up to when you were in your formative years? I'm from Wrexham and uh, I was a big Wrexham Town fan when I was 12, 13, going to games. It was very good. It was Joey Jones, Mickey Thomas, Graham Whittle, Bobby Shinton, players of that ilk. Lovely skill. Oh, and the ball, that's through, and he's onside, Hughes! And he's there! when they felt he was offside and I must say they looked the suspicion of it to me but the flag stayed down and United are in the lead Mark Hughes the scorer Obviously, you were part of that sort of early '90s scene as well, when Manchester United were the the biggest team in the land. Did you get involved in the sort of Manchester uh, environment? Did you were you ever down the hacienda? I only actually ever went there once. Um, I think it was on a players' do, and uh, somebody in the bright mind decided that oh, well, we need to go there. Well, well, I went there and I was wandering around in smoke for an hour. So I thought, this isn't for me. I need to get out of this place. <laughs> so that was my only uh, my only experience of that place. But at that time, it was it was good to be here around Manchester. Obviously, we, we were successful. The, the town itself, obviously, the music scene was huge. So uh, Manchester was really happening in, in those days. So you broke into the team first time, 83-84. You got a bit of playing time that season. What was United like to play for at that time? What sort of club was it? Because it had been relegated come back again it had a few sort of brushes with success was it a club reaching back into the past or, or looking forward to the future I think we were striving to be better we weren't a great team you would say we, we were trying to get close to Liverpool with the, the dominant force obviously in, in those days and uh, to try and overcome them was was the aim of everybody obviously Sir Alex came in and that was stated very early on in his tenure that he needed to knock them off their perch and, and that was the challenge in the early 80s when, when obviously I broke through with, with Ron Atkinson and um, we were okay in Cups so we won a number of FA Cups during that time and uh, and that was good but uh, the key was obviously winning the, the championship again and um, obviously to be part of a team that was able after 26 odd years uh, to, to win the, the first division title premiership the first year obviously as it was uh, and evolved in uh, that was really important for the club but the 80s was a real battle and every year that we didn't win the league title the, the harder it seemed to, to be the next year so to be able to actually break that ceiling was really important and I think that's why that team around that era 92, 93, 94 I think that's why that team's viewed with affection from from everybody in in Manchester United just because they knew the importance of being able to get that first title back again and then from that point onwards they, they could build a period of future success. You came close under Ron though, didn't you? I mean, you, you didn't have a bad team. I mean, you had Paul McGrath, Brian 
Robson, Frank Stapleton, you mentioned. Norman Whiteside was coming through at the time when you were moving into the, the, the first team. I think you kept Alan Brazil out of the team for a little while as well, didn't you? I think I finished his career, if we're honest. Certainly <laughs> <laughs> at United, anyway, but there you go. Sorry, um, Al. Uh, but, but ultimately, most people would look back you know, separate from Manchester United, other clubs would look back at the success that Ron Atkinson had and thought, actually, he didn't do a bad job at all. I mean, it was it was good football, yeah. it was entertaining. I mean, going back to the 85 Cup final, you're taking on an Everton team that are unbelievable. They're winning everything. You deny them winning the treble. I mean, that must have been a spectacular moment. Strachan is following up. Olsen on this side. That's all he's got. Whiteside shoots. It's there! The cup final was great. I always remember, I was really disappointed at the end because um, as I was going up the, the steps, obviously uh, I'd seen her on TV and watched teams and players go up those steps many, many times at Wembley to, to receive the trophy. And as I'm just getting halfway up, all of a sudden a big cheer goes up and I look across and Rob was all, already put the trophy up. I think, <laughs> oh, for goodness sake, I've missed it. After all these years, <laughs> wondering and thinking what, what the emotion was going to be like when they left the trophy and I missed it. So I made a made a vow that if I ever got back and I was in cup finals again, I'd make sure I didn't miss it. So if you look at any, all the other cup finals I was involved in, it's always the captain, it's the goalie, then it's me. <laughs> so I made sure I, I never missed it again. But but the team itself was okay. We, we just always seemed to come up a little bit short in the quest for the league. Uh, I think the best chance we had was my final season at United mm. the first time round. Come off the bat really um, strongly, didn't you? Ten games straight out of the out of the yeah. season, winning every one of them. Yeah, and we were flying. And then, for whatever reason, I think I got a little bit of blame for it because um, people felt that maybe I got distracted because obviously Barcelona came on the scene and were were inquiring about me. And I actually signed a pre-contract early uh, in that season, and and I, I didn't have a great end to the season. It had nothing to do with the, the Barcelona situation. Just I, I'd, I'd lost a bit of form and. Uh, unfortunately coincided with uh, the interest from Barcelona. Um, as it was, after a great start, like you said, 10 straight wins, we, we just fell fell at the end. And uh, I think we ended up third or fourth in mm. the end, which really, if we had that strength and that mentality and that focus to, to really win titles with that team, that uh, that wouldn't have happened. What did you learn off Big Ron? Well, I'm forever grateful because he, he gave me my opportunity in the first team. Um, I had a lot of support from from the reserve team manager and Sid Owen as well, pushed my case to, to be included in the first team in those days. So uh, I was grateful to them. But the thing is, when you're a young player, the, the key is that you've got to make an impression. You've got to, if you get get a chance, you've got to take it. And, and I was very fortunate. Uh, I think in most of my debuts in senior football, invariably I'd score, score a goal. So it was key to, to be able to get the trust of managers that you're given a chance and you take it. So as a consequence, you get more opportunities. So I was fortunate that in most debuts that I had, uh, I was able to score and make an impression. What does that say so about Rob, your character? Well, I don't know. I was, I was very determined. I, I was a quiet guy. Um, still, I'm a quiet guy. That's, that's my personality. You can't change that. But uh, when I got on onto the football pitch, people would tell you I was a completely different player to what I was off the pitch. Yeah. And that's exactly... Right, and I just felt the stage of being 
on the pitch enabled me to be more expressive and um, and I became a different person, more more expressive and more demonstrative, I suppose. So um, that was a that was a good thing for me. Did you enjoy it? Oh yeah, I loved every minute of it. Listen, I've been I've been fortunate. You said earlier on, sixteen years as, as a manager, and it's the next best thing to playing, but it never replaces playing. Playing is the be all and end all. Being a manager, you get similar emotions, but you get them in different quantities at different times. I was just think a player, it's easier, hell of a lot easier than being a manager because. Uh, you can console yourself if you get beat 4-3, but you've scored a hat-trick as a player, you can console yourself. But if you get beat 4-3 as a manager, you're lost and it's your fault. So uh, same emotions, but at different times and different quantities. Did you like the old uh, sparky nickname? Were you you happy with that? Well, I tried to lose it a few times, but it just followed me around, unfortunately. Uh, It was was a nickname, just a group of my mates from school, and uh, we all decided to be... Uh, names of comics. One of my mates was Beano. Somebody else was Victor. So all the comics of the day. I ended up being Sparky because it rhymed with Mark. Uh, I don't know. Marky Sparky. <laughs> it's, it's as poor as that. But it's stuck in school and, and I started playing representative football and obviously they pick up on nicknames so it's stuck around. Uh, I played well schoolboys and I was still Sparky. I was still thinking at some point hopefully it'll go away. And then I started going for trials. Um, signed schoolboy for for Man United, um, and I was just Taffy or Mark. And unfortunately, uh, I played a representative match for my area, and one of the guys who was an apprentice at, uh, at United was playing for the opposition, and he heard everybody calling me, <laughs> calling me Sparky. So when we met up and the, the next time at United, straight away he says, do you know what they call him in, in Wales? Uh, we've got to start calling him Sparky. So from that point on, I was, uh, was out of the back and I was knackered. 1986, United are not going to win the league after all, despite that great start. Um, and you head to Barcelona. What made you say yes? And how long was the courtship? Because you said pre-contract. They've been in touch with you before we all knew about it. To be perfectly honest, I didn't really want to go. I was having a great time in Manchester. Uh, I'd been in the team 18 months. I was playing in front of 40,000 in those days uh, prior to the development of the stadium. I was. I had number 10 on my back. I was centre forward for Man United, I was more than happy. I just met my future wife as well a couple of months before uh, I left. So uh, deep down, I'm thinking, well, maybe something will go wrong. Maybe they'll pull out or maybe I'll fail the medical or something. I was just hoping that it didn't happen. But I think there was mixed messages. I think maybe my agent at the time was probably telling United that I wanted to go and you need to let him go and it's a big deal and it's it's a good deal for the club and you can... You can buy two other strikers for what you'll get for for me. So um, in the end, it seemed to gain a speed of its own and uh, there was no going back. So uh, I was on the plane to, to Barcelona. People would think, well, there's no hardship. But actually, in those days, there was no real support for you as a player to give you your check. And you were supposed to organise a house, car, sort the language out if you could and get on with it. And uh, Totally different to the support that players get now in terms of player liaison. There's whole departments that are there to, to help players integrate and become part of a football club when they join. But at Barcelona, there was absolutely nothing like that. So I think that was the part of the problem that I had in terms of the success I had out there. It was just that I wasn't settled off the pitch. So as a consequence, I didn't perform on it either. Gary Lineker said in an earlier episode of this show that um, he thought that you know he was a little bit older, he was a bit more settled. And for you, maybe it came a little bit too early. Would you concur with that? 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think Gallagher just just come back from the World Cup. Yeah. Um, uh, just got married as well. And uh, so he was settled. He had his wife with him and they were building a future together. They were very good to me, in fairness. I think they, they understood at times I was struggling when I was on my own. Uh, so they used to invite me around for meals, but uh, I was like a gooseberry, so I didn't take them up on, on every offer. Or I would have been around there every night. But uh, um, yeah, different different situations. But Gary was more successful because I think he had that stability off the, off the field, which helped. Where you went next, you did make an impression, and that was at Bayern Munich. You ended up on loan there the following season. You're playing in a team with Matthias, Argenthaler, Rummeniger, Bremer. I mean, it's a great team. I mean, when you walked in there, did you have a different attitude from Barcelona? Were you more determined to make it work, or were you just like, this is amazing? There was a complete difference in terms of how they looked after players. I've already mentioned Barcelona. There's no support for players. Um, I think... I was renting a car for about four months just because I didn't know where to go to buy one or, or I didn't have the language to be able to, to get a car. So I ended up paying huge amounts in, in rental fees to keep this car <laughs> just so I could go to training. So I got a Bayern Munich and I signed on the Wednesday and I think on the Thursday I had a brand new BMW outside to, to drive around in. So there was a complete difference in terms of how they understood players. And I think that's the consequence of the people they had in the hierarchy, obviously, yeah. Uli Unis was there, Karl Heinz Rummenigge was there as well. And I think having football people there, they, they understood how footballers think and the, the needs of footballers. You once played two games in one day. How did that come about? And did that sort of etch you into the hearts of the Bayern Munich fans forever? Well, it was, it was a strange situation, really. I'd played in my debut game, scored a game, uh, like I made a habit of. And the game had gone really well. I hadn't played for probably about four or five months because I was out of the, the Barcelona team at that time. So uh, to come in and after having not played for so long and then make an impression, score a goal, uh, they were delighted. And it was international week, so I played the game on the Saturday, on the Wednesday. Uh, we also had a big European qualifier against Czechoslovakia. Uh, um, so I was supposed to fly out after the game. Unfortunately, it was fogbound, so the flight was cancelled. So Uli Unis invited me and my agent to uh, to a meal in his house. So we were just having the meal, had uh, a great time, and he just happened to ask me, uh, oh, "What time? What time's the game on Wednesday for Wales?" I said, oh, "It's about one o'clock, I think, kickoff." And he goes, "Oh, okay." So I could sense that he things were whirling in his mind, and uh, he then comes up with says, "Oh well, you'll be able to play for us in the cup game on at seven o'clock." I don't think he, this guy must be joking. He wants me to play twice in, in a day. But as it is, apparently, uh, he'd done it before. So as soon as the game's finished, it took me about 10 minutes to shower, jump in the car, get to the airport. We fly back across the border. And we actually fly over the, the pitch and the floodlights are on and the game is actually going on. So come second half, I'm there on the bench. There was actually a guy who looked very similar to me, uh, the same mullet that I had in those days. And I think everybody assumed... Uh, I was him. So I sit on the bench and uh, I think we're losing 1-0 or 2-1. We, we were down in the game anyway. So all of a sudden, Yopankis, uh, who was the manager, manager there, says, I get changed. So he made a double substitution. Uh, on I went after about 60 minutes and uh, we won the game 3-2. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Blackmore taking it up again. Hughes on the far side. Mark Hughes. A goal now in each of his last five league games. And it puts United into the lead. In 1988, you returned to Old Trafford. Uh, what was it like coming home after that period away? Was it a bit like sort of been on an extended school trip and all of a sudden you're back home again with all your mates? Or, or, or was it even more sort of emotional than that? I was absolutely delighted to come back. In fairness, if it hadn't been Man United asked me to come back, I would have stayed in Germany. Um, I felt Germany suited my, my style of play. I'd gone from being a really aggressive centre-forward at Man United going to Barcelona, which was more technical and, and physicality was a lot lower. Uh, referees uh, ref the game differently as well. And that was one of the factors that went against me because mm. in the end in Spain, I, was, I wasn't I was playing my normal game because referees were, were pulling me up on on the aggressive side of, of, of my game, which to a certain extent defined how I, I approached the game. Whereas Germany was a lot more physical. It wasn't as physical as as England was in those days, but it was like a halfway house. So I felt Germany was, was perfect for me. Yeah. Um, they wanted to sign me because uh, I was only there on loan and they wanted to sign me. But uh, United came in and as a consequence of that, I, I went back. But um, I probably, if I'm honest, and if any young players came to me and asked me uh, what, what you need to be successful playing abroad, the key is to, to go with the, the mentality that I'm going to stay here for as long as I can. Um, if you go there with the mentality, well, I'll go for a couple of years and then I'll come back, which is what I did, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, I think that shapes your mindset and that, that doesn't allow yourself to to engage and, and be part of the culture and the language and, and really engross yourself in, in the whole experience. Uh, if you don't do that, then you miss out on so much of it. Whilst you've been away from Manchester United, they've changed the manager. Did you know much about him before you sort of first spoke to him? Well, um, only through through the football grapevine, if if I'm honest, it's uh, obviously he came with a 
a real reputation of being strong and didn't suffer fools. And uh, very quickly on a United, he he thought he needed to clear out certain players that maybe um, he felt their lifestyle wouldn't uh, allow themselves to play at the top of their, their ability. Obviously, it's well documented. There's a little bit of a drinking culture maybe. Um, at United, no different from anywhere else, by the way. But because <laughs> that's what he was like in those days. But uh, but he obviously uh, the likes of Paul McGrath uh, fell by the wayside. Norm Whiteside left the club as well. Um, so when I came back, there, there was definitely a sense that there was a different thinking behind the club. And I think Big Ron was was a big gregarious guy. He liked liked to make people happy in and around the club and. Um, and there weren't too many rules and regulations, but you knew, and I certainly noticed it when I went back uh, the second time, that uh, there was a lot more boundaries and, and strict protocols that you needed to adhere to if you're going to be successful for ceramics. So uh, there was a definite change when I came back. What do you reckon the turning point was? Because obviously it didn't start particularly well for ceramics. Um, everyone says the Mark Robbins moment, but... Was it a sort of combination of things, really? You know, 89-90, finishing third, you win player of the year, top scorer, the FA Cup final that, you know, ends up going to that replay. I mean, is that really, that, that combination of factors, the, the real moment that things switch for him and switch for the players? The FA Cup game, I remember the United fans on that day. We were away at Notts Forest and uh, there was a lot of talk that if, if we didn't win this game, then Fergie was going to get the sack. We weren't playing particularly well either. So leading into the game, I think you guys in the media were priming everybody and hopefully there was going to be a big story at the end of the game. But the United fans came out in their thousands. They had the opposite uh, paddock side of the big main stand there and they were magnificent on the day. And I just sensed that they were fully behind the manager. They were behind the players. And as a consequence, there's no way we're going to get beat that day. Hughes, he's got a lot of room. And here's Robbins. And did it get the deflection? Was it Robbins or Pierce? But Robbins for sure will claim it. Hughes was given room, and Robbins, the scorer, was not marked. Manchester United have a 1 0 lead. Well, everybody forgets the great pass to him, <laughs> which was by me with the outside of my right foot right on into his head. But everybody forgets that about it. But, uh, but it was an important fixture. We, we needed to win the game, clearly, for any number of reasons. And then uh, we were able to just carry on and we, we made our way to the final and, and won it over two legs against Crystal Palace. So, uh, great end to the season. And from that point on, it's that group of players that understood how to win together. Mm. And that's really important for a team. You've got to win trophies as a group to understand what it takes to, to win together. And from that point on, we started to win trophies every year. We won Cup Winners' Cup, League Cup, and then finally we, were, we won the Premier League. You scored twice in that epic final against Crystal Palace that eventually went to a replay. But your big night, in my eyes, and maybe I'm judging this wrong, is is the 15th of May 1991. It's the night that Manchester United win their first European trophy in 23 years. The first English club to win a trophy in Europe after the ban has been lifted. You score both the goals. And you score them against none other than Barcelona. It all seems to just tie up nicely and neatly. As a fantastic little fairy tale story. Here's onside. There's a chance for another one here. Maybe not now. Yes, there is. A fantastic goal by Hughes. Spreads his arms wide and probably makes the game safe for United. I think people after the game say, Well, were you pleased to get one over here, Barcelona because they let you go and 
did you, you were pleased that you got revenge? And, and it was never that for me. I, I always look back at my time at Barcelona and I think that was just a big opportunity. I didn't make the most of it for months. So going up against them, obviously I wanted, it was a little bit when I came, like when I came back from, from Barcelona and started playing for United again. I wanted to show people that I'd, I'd improved and I'd become a better player. And I think that's the attitude I went into with that game. I, I just wanted them to, to understand that what I showed when I was in Barcelona wasn't what I was really as a player. And I'd like to think I, I was able to do that in that game. But once again, the memories from that game really stuck in my mind. I always remember we were lining up for the for the presentation just before the game. And there's, there's a picture actually that I've still got where it's, it's a little bit misty. It wasn't a particularly nice day. And it just started to drizzle. And I remember looking across to the Barcelona team and saw a few of them rubbing their arms and <laughs> jumping up and down, trying to keep warm. I'm thinking they don't fancy this at all. So uh, I went around, everybody said, listen, this mob don't fancy it. We've got to get really stuck in here. Thankfully, it turned out okay. We had a few uh, close shaves towards the end of the game where we were hanging on, but uh, thankfully we were able to get the job done. It was, uh, it was a great night. The iconic um, moment from that is the moment that you go around uh, Carlos Busquets, you go into the penalty area, and you look like you've taken the ball very, very wide. You had to to go around the goalkeeper. It's a tight angle, but you managed to come up with a finish in the shot from behind the goal, which is replayed over and over again, of you watching the ball go in the net and then wheeling away in celebration. I mean, that that to me is is that cup final summed up in, in, in a couple of moments. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was Robert who played me through. And um, uh, I was... I was through on, on goal and for whatever reason, he came bowling out and he was about 10, 15 yards outside of his box. <laughs> so I skipped past him, but as a consequence of that, he did force me out wide. But my mentality at that time, I was on the right-hand side of the box, way out wide. But from my point of view, I just felt, that's an open goal. I've just gone past the goalkeeper. There's nobody in the net. I'm just going to whack it into an empty net. So I put my head down my foot through it. Thankfully, I did because if I had just side-footed and passed it in, there was two guys running hell for leather trying to kick the ball off the line. But because I hit it hard, I'd like to admit that I saw them coming so I knew I had it hard, but I didn't see them coming. I just, I was just playing full of confidence. I thought, right, I'm going to smack this in an empty net and thankfully it went in. After that, uh, United are flying, as you said. They've got the winning mentality. They're going on all-conquering team. 91-92, you and McClare are starting to to, to, to hear rumours, are you, of, of Shearer possibly, one or two other strikers. You now sort of realise that Sir Alex is always trying to improve the team. Did, did, did you did that affect you, all that sort of stuff? No, it was a given. I, I was playing for the top club in Man United, and so it was right and proper that they tried to improve every year. Uh, sometimes... Um, there'd be players available that they felt that they needed to go for. I never took it as a slight. I always would back myself, whoever they brought to the club, and I always felt that way. I said, well, OK, you come on. If, if you think you're going to play ahead of me, then uh, let's see if you can take the shirt off me. I was very proud to be Man United striker, and uh, I'd worn the number 10 for a long time, so it was going to take some player to take it off me. So uh, I was quite prepared. I knew it would happen at some point, and... And that opportunity to play for United would be taken away, but uh, I was prepared to stand my corner and see see off all comers if I could. Yeah, and you did do quite well in in doing that. Um, you ended up finishing top scorer in ninety two ninety three after missing out again in ninety one ninety two. 
to Leeds United, the first season of the Premier League. You do win the title. Finally, you get your hands on that, that medal. We'll come to that in just a second. But midway through, you're joined in attack by Eric Cantona. Cantona again. It's almost as if he's got a baton in his hand and is conducting the orchestra. Giggs. Oh, it's a super ball and Cantona is there where it matters. Two for him. Two for United. What was his impact? It could have been very easy. Obviously, Sir Alex well known for, for breaking teams down and rebuilding and he's had three, four, five fantastic teams during his time at, at United. And and I think after we just missed out on the on the title the, the year previous, although we've gone very close, there could have been the danger that Sir Alex might have thought, well, this group can't win the title. I'm going to break it up. I'm going to rebuild. But he didn't. He kept that group together because he knew that we were so close. And I think the genius of... Sir Alex was that he recognised that we just needed maybe a catalyst or just maybe a maverick that did something different in key moments in games just to to break teams down because towards the end of the, the previous season we were struggling in in games that really we should beat teams but there were getting lots of people behind the ball and back in defence and we just couldn't find a way around them. It's all over! The party can begin. Manchester United are champions of England. The inaugural winners of the FA Premier League. You win the league for the first time with Manchester United. It's now a 26-year wait over. You've gone so close so many times. What's it like when that realisation dawns upon you that actually you're a league champion and Manchester United, this club that you've worn the number 10 for with pride for the best part of of a decade, are going to achieve their holy grail. We were playing Monday night against Blackburn and uh, Aston Villa were playing at home uh, against uh, Oldham. They were behind in the game and as the clock was ticking, then I'm thinking, we're going to win the league title. I can't believe what's happening. So we won it and obviously won the league. Everybody was hugging, jumping up and down in, in the front room. And then all of a sudden the, the phone's going. There's a big party in Brucey's house. Get yourself down there. And I think we all got to bed about four o'clock <laughs> that night. And we got a game the next time. So it's the only time I've ever done that. I have to say I've never done that ever before. A night before a game. We actually went behind 1-0 to Blackburn. And I think that sobered us all up. And it was just a fantastic day. There was such an outpouring of emotion and relief that we'd actually done it. The, the fans obviously were, were in a state of euphoria and doing their lap of honour around the stadium. It was just a real special time for everybody involved. Furlong down. Mark Hughes, yes! Wouldn't you just know it? A Mark Hughes goal against Manchester United. In 1995, you, you have an injury. Andy Cole turns up. Fergie breaks up the team in a sense, doesn't he? Ken Chelsea's goes, Ince goes to Inter, you end up going to Chelsea. And it's a major difference going from Manchester United to Chelsea at this time because Chelsea aren't Chelsea of post-2000. What was the place like when you arrived? Because, I mean, they had this god-awful training ground in Harlington for a start. And at the time, they were turning over managers very quickly. I went there at exactly the right time. It was before Abramovich, obviously, but... uh, uh, the team was trying to change and they were obviously signing the likes of Rude Hullet. Uh, Glenn Hoddle was the manager. He had big ideas and, and big ambitions himself. So uh, it was a good place to be. 
when I signed, actually got to London and signed and did all the official photos. Uh, I remember I could only have the, the official photos done pointing in one direction, which was towards the Matthew Harding stand in the background because the main stand was just all rusted and orange. There, there was a, a tatty old uh, stand at the other side and they knocked the, the shed down. There was a big hole in the ground at the other end for a car park. So <laughs> so it wasn't very aesthetically pleasing ground in those days, Stamford Bridge. But uh, yeah, I signed on had three great years. I really enjoyed it. So it was a good time. They had some good young players as well, like sort of, Obviously, Viali came there in the three years I was there. Gianfranco as well was super player, absolutely fantastic player and, and a great guy. And uh, the three years that I had there, arguably as enjoyable as the ones I had at United, just because I was at a different stage in my career. And I think when you leave United, there's always that thought, well, you go into a lesser club and that's the end of your opportunity to win medals. But thankfully, I was there for three years and I won three medals. Yeah, you did. And uh, you starred in the Cup final in 1997. You helped the ball on to Roberto Di Matteo after 43 seconds and he scores from miles out. But to me, the game that stands out, Vicenza at home. You basically win the Cup Winners' Cup that night because at half-time in that game, it's all over. It's finished. They Down from the first leg, they've conceded an away goal. Then you come on. And it changes. Long, long clearance from him down to Hughes. Oh, what a finish! What a finish! Mark Hughes. One of the greatest goals he'll ever score for Chelsea. I remember a ball got played up to me. Um, and I think I went up to challenge. Um, and the ball just looped up in a big loop. And it just went over my head and over the defender's head. And it's just one of those instinctive moments where it just bounces up nicely. And I've said earlier on that I always used to practice my volleys because my heading wasn't great. So the flight of the ball, I, I could pick up the flight of the ball very easily because that's, that was one of the skills I had. And this ball just popped up and I thought, oh, it's perfect. So I hit it with my left, which was my wrong foot, um, the opposite foot. But uh, I hit it exactly where I wanted to hit it and went straight in the corner. And... Uh, we were off and running, we, we won the game and we were able to go through. Unfortunately, I, I missed the celebration down the end because uh, the two centre-halves, Italian centre-halves, weren't too happy with me and uh, I got flattened after the whistle went. So I was I was flat on my back in the six-yard box when uh, when we actually won the game and uh, concussed in the dressing room after. But, uh, well, they clocked you, they properly clocked you. Yeah, yeah, I got an elbow straight across the face and I was out for the count, so a uh, bit naughty really, but... Uh, those things happened in those days, but uh, now good moment. Yeah, I think you're right. That game, we we were out. If we're honest, uh, the the tie was slipping away from us, and uh, uh, something needed to happen. Thankfully, I was able to to affect the game. At the end of these interviews, we're sort of testing out our strikers with their knowledge of their own career. We call it our perfect hat trick. It's it's three questions about your illustrious playing career, seeing how well you know yourself. Uh, but it also gives us the opportunity to talk about some of the things we haven't talked about, including Wales. We haven't really even touched on Wales. There's so much to get to. So I'll ask you about who against was your first Welsh goal? Oh my, no, I know this one. I, know this one. It's, uh, I actually watched the game a week and a half ago because it was on uh, Welsh TV because right. they were showing it, a rerun of it. And uh, I watched it for only the first time because I've never seen it in its entirety. Not a classic, if I'm honest. Um, but it was Wales against England at the racecourse ground, which obviously was my hometown. And 
all my friends, family were there and to, to score the win. It was actually the last home international game that uh, England and Wales played because England and Scotland decided they didn't need ourselves in Northern Ireland. So it was the last game. So we were quite motivated, I have to say, before the game. Um, so I made my debut. I think Dave Phillips made his debut as well. And uh, yeah, I was able to get the winner and we won 1-0. Where did you score your first Manchester United goal? Do you remember? But the first goal I scored in the first team was um, was the League Cup game yep. uh, against Oxford. So Wilkins with the free kick to Duxbury. And Hughes came in! And what a start for him! Ten minutes gone and Mark Hughes, starting a first-team match for the first time, met the cross with a firm header and put Manchester United into the lead. Ray Wilkins, God rest his soul, did a short free kick to... Mickey Duxbury and he floated the ball in, in the air and one of the few times I timed my run into the box and headed one in. So uh, instead of volleying it and um, we actually drew the game 1-1, I think. Uh, I was up against two big centre-halves, really. I mean, we mentioned Gentile and, and Martin Keown, but uh, I was up against Briggs and Shot. <laughs> quite formidable for Oxford in those days. So uh, that was quite, a, quite an experience as well. But uh, yeah, I remember that game. Chelsea beat Liverpool en route to the FA Cup final. You were great in in that game. The whole team gelled that day. But later on in the tournament, which team did you beat in the semi-final at Highbury? Beat Wimbledon. Yes. Yeah, we beat Wimbledon. I think I scored. Yes. Yeah, I did score. I yeah. scored two. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. A match-winning performance. Yeah, I think Gianfranco's goal was best. Yes, it, 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 I, I, I broke my ankle trying to um, to do it on the park about two hours <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> a little twist on the edge of the penalty area, a little Cruyff turn on the edge of the penalty area, yeah, and then yeah. he shoots into the corner. No, it was a great, it was a great goal. Yeah, we were the better team on the day. We was uh, yeah. Once we scored first, I think Wimbledon those days they had they had to hope that they could block people out and be aggressive against you and get a goal and then. Then hang on, but as soon as we got our noses in front of us, we've got to be one winner in that game. We've got Wise going outside him now. Hughes in the middle with Burley. And it Hughes! Yes! Chelsea have scored! And who else could it be but Mark Hughes? You've been listening to Upfront with Mark Hughes and me, Sam Matterface. And if you missed any of the show or you just want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the TalkSport Game Day feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.